VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Boris is back, and so is The Ruck. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and um, I saw myself described by one Stuart Barnes in Saturday's Times as a giant of the game. You know I always liked you, Barnsley. Talking about great number 10s who are back, the greatest fly-half ever to play for England is, of course, Stuart Barnes. Uh, and today, he's also joined on Zoom by Stephen Jones and Alex Lowe. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Hello, everyone. Stuart, if I could start with you, how's lockdown going for you? It's difficult times for us all, but uh, you, I mean, you're working very hard, I can see. Is the Barnes wine cellar sort of um, taking a bit of a battering? The calls to Majestic are frequent because I'm very concerned that the Brunello stop is going to be arrived at way too quickly. So... <laughs> So, uh, apart from the sort of Waitrose trucks coming down for the more elderly people of the hamlet, there's a constant supply of Majestic, which just means the good stuff is hidden still. (laughs) Saving the best till last, I'm sure. Stephen, how are you, sir? Very good, Lawrence. Um, Just on the verge of getting bored with with everything, but as I'm leading the field, uh, I've led the field for the third consecutive week with Rugby Stories. I've got no time for drink or to do anything like that. I'm still um, working probably 19 hours a day or something like that. Selfless as ever, Jonesy. Very yeah, impressive. Very, uh, feeling very smug down there. Um, yeah. Alex, um, you, you've been taking on a slightly different challenge, I saw. The, uh, the 2.6 yeah. charity challenge, uh, which is, uh, as we know, swept uh, across the nation. Obviously, charities, like any other business, are really struggling at the moment. And there's this sort of nationwide challenge to unite and, and raise as much money as possible. My own charity, Rugby Works, got involved in in running uh, a fair bit but um what, what were you up to we had so our, our street ran a ran a marathon yesterday from our house down to one end of the road the other end of the road and back is, is a mile so we had 26 families each each taking part um loads of other families out in the front gardens supporting everyone else at a safe distance um and it, we raised some money for for young carers in in surrey where we live but it was actually Joji talks about being on the verge of getting bored. It was a really good kind of morale booster. There was a real sense of community about it. It was, just, it was great fun. I think we did it in four hours, 26 minutes, which included some, some newborn babies being pushed in prams, some young kids <laughs> doing on scooters. Uh, our next door neighbour, she, she's about 13. There's a big hill at the end of the road and struggled to get up it on her, on her rollerblades. But it was, just, it was a great day. Sunshine uh, made it perfect. And um, it was just really <clears> nice to to feel like you were doing something positive for yourself and for somebody else. It was lovely. 
I don't want to go to get too uh, cynical about things. I'm very, very proud of the way people react. I'm very proud of the uh, country of my birth. I'm very proud of the country that I have been domiciled in for years. And I think this does, it brings out the best in people. It's easy to say, but I think that's definitely what it does. I mean, your, uh, your, Delantia works in your, 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 your um, uh, charity work is legendary, but mm. I think everyone can come through at this sort of time. And I just think it's wonderful. And it is a really big boost to morale when you, you hear all these things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, you know, here, here to that. I just wanted to look back across the weekend because, uh, you know, in, in all seriousness, all three of you are, are, are writing some, some fascinating stories. Alex, Alex with you, um, I saw Martin Ziegler, and you'll, you'll be across this as well, kind of revealed in, in today's times that the Premiership is really struggling to find a new TV deal. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, you know, around that myself because uh, BT have one more year left on their contract. And, and Darren Childs, at, at, uh, the CEO of Premier Rugby, coming under all sorts of, of fire. Is it just bad luck and bad timing rather than anything more, more, uh, more serious than that? Because uh, obviously uh, he's trying to reach an agreement with, uh, with the likes of BT and, and potentially Sky. So there's an element of this which is bad timing uh, on, on the Premiership's part. Unfortunate timing in that they were looking to, to put the, the rights up for auction in June, July. Yeah, this summer... They wanted a, a package in place, I think, before the start of next season so that everyone knew where the Premiership was going to be shown beyond the end of the, BT, the current BT deal. So the pandemic has obviously interrupted that. However, it's been known for a number of years that, that the Premiership were going to struggle to find a television deal that would match the present deal with BT Sport. Um, the way that Premiership Rugby uh, went about forcing through the change in Europe um, – which which uh, effectively pushed Sky out of the picture. Um, certainly uh, meant Sky, for a long time, were not interested in, in, in Premiership Rugby. I'm sure Barnsley would, would have a view mm. on that. But it, um, the way they went about it alienated Sky. And suddenly, while they, they, were, they were being paid a lot of money by BT for this deal, um, there's, there's been a sense for some time that the next deal will be much harder to, to, to strike anywhere close to the same amount. Um, I think CBC's arrival, there was a sense that having having worked closely with Sky when they ran Formula One, they might have a way of bringing Sky back to the table. But as mm. as we've got in the paper today in, in Martin's story, Darren Charles has been desperately appealing to Sky to, to come to the table. BT had a period of exclusivity to sign a new deal and declined to do so. So that you know that the TV picture is interesting worldwide actually because there are no TV rights in Australia at the moment, and they're in, in a real financial situation. Premiership Rugby don't have a TV deal. We think the rights are going to go down. In addition to that, the eight-year agreement, funding agreement they signed with the RFU was split into four years and then four years. The first four years was, was a guaranteed amount of money. The second four years was going to be based on the RFU's revenues over those four years. And as we can see, the RFU are already projecting uh, 50 million pound losses in revenue and that's based on <coughs> over the next 18 months based on these November tests happening yeah. so if they don't happen it'll be even worse so the two main funding streams for Premiership Rugby TV and the RFU both look like, like they're going to take a hit and that's a huge issue for the league Sure that leads me nicely onto onto the piece that you wrote because um, you know clearly everyone's looking you know the unions clubs across the world 
to try and protect their own backyard. But but you were, I mean, the basis of your piece was suggesting that it's it's time to shrink, not time to grow. And just give us an insight into what you, I mean, you're, you're obviously advocating the quality of fixture, quality of uh, competition versus the quantity that we've seen for so many years. Yeah, I've been saying that for the last few columns, Lawrence. I think less is definitely going to be more quantity over quality and, and intensity as well. I think that's a very important word. Uh, word. You know, there's no doubt at all. It's not just sport. It's not just rugby. Every aspect of of this planet is is going to stabilise at best in the next year or so before we come out of it. And, and I still hear Bill Beaumont and Gus P. Schott talking about growth and expansion. And it, it just seems insanity to me. And this is a <coughs> chance for us to think, well, hang on, what is it about? I, I hear, it, you know, Gus said, um, if it's not a global game, what is it? Football's the global game. It is the only true global game. Rugby has to understand where it is, where it can go. It can go a long way, but it doesn't have to diversify and it shouldn't diversify at this very moment in time when the foundations of the big guns are are the the companies that will hold this thing together, the nations that will hold it together. And I think... Mm -hmm. When you talk about intensity, I look at Pro 14 bringing two South African teams. It has done nothing in South Africa. It has done nothing in Wales, Scotland, Ireland, maybe even Italy. I don't know about Italy, but I'd say again, that tournament has not been helped. I understand why two Italian teams initially were in it. It was an attempt to spread the game all over the place. But it didn't work because no one was that interested in Treviso and Zebra, and they're not. Strength of the Premiership has never, I would suggest, been purely the quality of the rugby. It has been the fact that Leicester and Northampton can't stand each other, that Bristol want to stick it to Bath, that Wasps and Harlequins have this history. And that overcomes sometimes, as you well know, Lawrence, as a broadcaster, the quality of the game, the intensity, the excitement, and the Six Nations as an international sport hasn't always been the greatest game. But when there's 78,000 people in Cardiff, their eyeballs are popping out of their head because they want to murder England on the sporting field. Nobody cares about the quality. It stands on its own two feet. Contrast the rugby championship, when New Zealand go to Argentina, when South Africa go to Australia... People are getting bored because they're not their pure rivals, which is why in the paper today I talked about touring being a good thing to get that intensity of competition back. Couldn't agree more. Stephen Jones, you um, predict that Bill Beaumont has done enough to be re-elected as chairman of uh, World Rugby. Um, The vote, of course, was yesterday. Uh, The results won't be announced for at least two weeks. It's, it's a big question, isn't it, uh, Jonesy? But, but, I mean, what are the key challenges, two or three key challenges, just picking up on, on what, the, uh, what the, the guys were suggesting there, that Bill Beaumont, if he is elected as chairman of World Rugby, or even Gus Pichot, uh, if he is elected, what challenges do they now face? Well, they, they, well, first of all, just very, very briefly, just one note on each. The accident of history, which is anacrying the premiership, I don't think is coronavirus. It's the advent of Darren Charles, who so far is coming as a TV expert, so-called, and done nothing about TV or about anything else. I think the premiership rugby at the moment is at an all-time low. 
I totally disagree in, in, with everything that Barnsley wrote. Um, <laughs> if you have a division of 16 teams, there's always two at the bottom who, who are hopeless. You take those two away, there's another two who are hopeless because there are people who are always at the bottom of a league, however many you have. And the, the Premiership should stand up for itself. The people who are mucking it up is not the Premiership by having too many clubs. It is the absolute, absolute sick-making torrent of international matches. England played 20 times in 11 months. So that is where you've got to go. Bill will, Bill will, uh, will win the, um, the, the, uh, the vote. No question about that. I've been around everybody. I think he'll win it by a margin of about six or seven. But again, Lawrence, I don't think it's down to the personalities anymore. The world rugby is exactly the same in, in all its um, voting capacities as it was in the 1970s and the 1980s. It is still dominated by old-style administrators wearing blazers. These days, you have to have independent people. If World Rugby was just a British organisation, it would be mandated by law. Instead of having people voting <coughs> The only thing they want is their, themselves. You should get independent experts in there so that the Six Nations can no longer dominate the game. They do, they're not taking the game anywhere. They do not deserve to be in charge. And I, I don't care, actually, who wins between Billy and Gus. It's, they've got to have the guts to sort out the hidebound nature of world rugby, which is not going anywhere. And Barnsley, just to, just to respond to that, I mean, uh, is there any reforms that you'd like the uh, the World Rugby panel to, to sort of make top of their priority list? I'm going to disagree with Steve about something in a second. But first of all, the Six Nations thing, it has been a, a running sore for so long. From the day Romania were a really strong team and they should have come into the tournament and they didn't. There has to be an opportunity the second tier to rise and fall until there is, it does feel like very much an old boys blazer club. Uh, and it is important that whatever we talk about, however you play, I, I, I actually don't think you have to have this global league every year. I think it'll muddy the waters uh, and I think it'll take away from a World <clears throat> Cup. What I would say though, when, when Steve mentioned he doesn't think coronavirus is the problem, it's Darren Chance. I would say, having been a little bit closer than Steve, at the last negotiation, Sky had been partners of Premiership for a long time. You're Steve, it's understanding things in the background. You understand that sometimes you have to dig. Maybe I know a little bit more about this historically than you do. Well, why don't you write about it then? Put it in the paper. <laughs> well, years before Darren Childs came on the scene, the way that Mark McCafferty and PRL dealt with Sky, who had been a long time partner, upset Sky a long time. Could have told you, I did tell people, that when the deal comes up again, Sky might come in, but because of the way things had handled, they would not be putting the big money. PRL, with Mark McCafferty, cut their own throat financially with the way they handled it. That is the reality of it. And that is why Darren Childs, I mean, he's, he's everyone's bet noir, but he was handed a very difficult pack of cards because of the way the last deal 
was reached. Professional rugby is difficult. It's not the Sunday school. Mark McCafferty saved the whole division from the start. He got rid of the old Irish, the Irish cabal which tried to dominate Europe from Dublin. He was open, he was bold, and he explained himself. At the moment, the, even the Premiership rugby media man is not allowed to say anything. Darren Childs has made it inward, and he, to be honest with you, he should put up or shut up. That all may be true, but that does not hide the fact that the manner in which PRL did business when they did the deal with BT made it very hard for them to find a competitive market the next yeah. time. Management people in Sky at the time said to me, this is not going to look good on PRL when the deal is up for grabs again. They've made a big mistake. And that is the fact of the matter. And it's coming home to roost. I mean, well, they don't want it don't, anymore don't, purely because they're miffed from the last time. Don't you think that the uh, part of the problem, and I agree with, with, uh, with a lot of what you've said there, but one of the real issues for me with regard to the TV funding of rugby you know, if you look back, um, and Christ knows it's a long way back now since, since when, I, when, I, when I was playing in the Premiership, the audiences have yeah. simply not grown. And the reason that the audiences have not grown, in fact, I'd argue that the amount of people watching club rugby was probably as high then as it is now. And the reason it's not grown is because the TV money has come straight into the central pot and been distributed straight out to the clubs who desperately, desperately need the money. What they are trying to do now is ring fence at least a minimum of £25 million per year to actually invest in growing the game. Because let's be clear, as you, rugby is not a global game. It's an international game. There aren't huge amounts of rugby fans in the UK. The ones that are rugby fans will switch on the TV, whether it's Sky or BT, and they'll watch rugby. But what the game needs to do is it needs to grow its audience. It needs to appeal to non-rugby fans to come and start watching rugby. And the only way, the only way they're going to do that is by investing serious amounts of money in marketing the game. And BT, you know, bless them, you know, I work for them, but the, the, only, place they, the only place they market the game is on their own channel. So that's not going to work because unless people are subscribing to that channel, um, no one's listening. So I do think the game has got a huge job you know, doing what Clive, someone like Clive Woodward did and saying, we want you guys to be household names. Barrow and Farrell, Maritoji, one or two others, Carl Sinclair, you know, England players are not household names and, and, the, and the game needs to understand that. You're quite right, Lawrence. I, I, it grew very early on with Sky and then it was difficult. And, and, and as you say, I think the Sky BT levels have been pretty consistent for quite a long time. And the problem is there are people who think there is an expansion and that's because of the echo chamber of, of the social media. Fans talk back to each other and there's about half a dozen fans talking all the time. But you use the phrase, Lawrence, international game. It remains largely a game where the money is via the international sport. There's no doubt about it. The World Cup's a raging <coughs> success. The Six Nations, I agree with Steve, there's so much that is wrong about it. There's so much that infuriates. But you know as well as I do, BT, Sky, Amazon came in. They come in for the international game. They look at the figures of club rugby uh, all over the world and they'll go, well, they're not amounting to much. And now those companies have got <coughs> 25 years the figures to look at, haven't they? And they're not yeah. seeing the progress. 
As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One of the competitions that we know does work and has been a, an incredible success for so, so many years is, of course, the Heineken Champions Cup. This year, supposed to be celebrating its 20 fifth anniversary last weekend was in fact yesterday was the anniversary of certainly the greatest rugby game that i played in Munster against Wasps at Lansdowne Road next weekend is supposed to be the Heineken Champions Cup semi-final weekend surely that is for me one of the greatest competitions in the world needs to be perhaps celebrated even more and I want all of all of our, our panel today just to just to give me their view on that particular tournament and maybe just share one or two reflections of some of the, 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 the great Heineken Cup matches as we're, as we're now being starved of, of European rugby. Almost to bridge the last conversation with this one, we've got, we'll find out who wins this, this uh, World Rugby election in early May. They've both got similar manifestos. The one huge difference that I could see is that Gus Pichot has said, we've learned the lessons from last year. We need to talk to all stakeholders. Everyone recognises that we're, we're at a point in the, in the evolution of rugby where things need to change. It's what we're talking about here. What we discovered in the end of last week <clears throat> was that everything that World Rugby had been telling us um, about this, this crisis causing a new sense of, uh, of teamwork between all stakeholders, they've all come together to sit around the table for the first time and that this was going to pave the way for a new kind of global calendar. That was all blown up by Simon Halliday and then the following day by, by Bruce Craig, two leading figures in the club game, Simon Halliday, chairman of, of the European competitions, who gave lie to, to uh, World Rugby's comments by stating that he hadn't been contacted at all. He'd, he'd written twice to Bill Beaumont, requesting the chance to sit around the table, as World Rugby had publicly said was going to be allowed, and he didn't even receive a reply. There's no way that the game can move forward and any compromises be made and a structure be set that suits everyone if everyone is not allowed a voice in that conversation. And Simon Halliday's view was, yeah, as you say, Lawrence, that the European Cup has been um, a jewel in the crown of, of, of the club game. It's been absolutely sensational for, for two, 25 years now. It generates a huge passion, huge interest, great travelling crowds. It's as close as you get to an international game in terms of tribalism. 
And, and at the moment, it's being sidelined because World Rugby have decided they're going to play test matches in October without consulting the clubs, even though October is, is under World Rugby's own rules, a club window. Um, this whole situation, is going, this opportunity is going to be wasted unless World Rugby just <coughs> recognise that the clubs exist and that and it's just saying that the Premiership can give their opinion to the RFU who can then give it on up to World Rugby doesn't work. The point of your question, I've gone off on a tangent, the point of your question is how special is the European Cup? Euro- European Cup is incredibly special and at the moment it's being squeezed and squeezed and being given no respect by the international game at all. And um, it needs to understand that when you go to Claremont or Toulon or Leinster <coughs> or, or Munster or, or, or Welford Road on a big European day, these are special occasions. I take it over six nations and every time. You get this, Lawrence, as you know, you get this incredible mix of cultures. You get like working class Welsh, you get Basques, you get Catalans. It's magnificent. And uh, the, the tribal nature of it. I remember when you went down to, uh, Was went down to, uh, was it Perpignan and, and, and played the yeah. game? You know, I thought, well, hang on, you tell me international rugby's tougher than that? don't think mm. so. And I, I just think it's wonderful. Well done for Simon Halliday for speaking out. The, the, the idea that the, the, the um, international windows should be there to be moved to wherever the, international, the, the Six Nations want them is absolutely ridiculous. That's not the point of an international window. And Simon Halliday was quite right. He told me as well, he said, oh, Premier Rugby is steaming about it as well. Did they come out and back up Halliday in public? No, they didn't. Bruce Gray came out. I think I would agree wholeheartedly with, with what Jonesy says there. I think, I think we are, for me, the international game, as, as, as Stuart said, is, is the financial driver. And, and I, would, I would have that in place first and build the club game around it. I think everyone acknowledges that these are unprecedented times. So the club game, the European club game, wouldn't have an issue necessarily with the international uh, with World Rugby moving the international window, they've said to me, as Halliday said to me, they're prepared to discuss it. They're prepared to make compromises to, to make this work. But no one can make a compromise if, if if they're not in, involved in the conversation. And all that the club games see is World Rugby coming in <coughs> and saying, right, we're going to have test matches in October without any consultation whatsoever. But that's not how the game, the global game is ever going to move forward. Barnsley, can I um, can I put, just push you on the European Cup as, as someone who was calling the competition for, for so, so many years and all of you actually have, have, have been to those wonderful cathedral stadiums all around, the, uh, all around Europe. Um, I've been lucky enough to play in the, in the, in the competition for many years. I, I can safely say it's the, it's the best competition I've ever played in. I put, I put the achievement of Wasps beating... Toulouse and then Leicester right up there as you know as, as the highlight of my career above even the World Cup itself and um, quite frankly outside of winning a World Cup I think it's the hardest competition to win in rugby I really do it, it everything has to go for you in one particular year and and when it's when it starts in in November or October and finishes in May um, that in itself tells you how hard it is is to play in Barnsley from you I mean wh- where do you see it in the past and where do you see it in the immediate future? I'll start with the games. Um, I, I was having a chat on the phone with Ronan O'Gara um, two days ago. Just out of the blue, Ronan said, you called that game when we played Sale. And he just said, Jesus Christ, that noise. 
the tingling. He said, Chabal came out. He said, I've never known anything like it. And he was right. What kick-started my emotional affair with that tournament was the miracle match, as they called it, when Munster had to beat Gloucester by 16 points or something to get through and get a bonus point, and they did it. And that tournament moved on from there. And I, I know Steve's not a fan of Munster, but emotionally and intensity-wise, they were very important in the early days. I was going to say, if you said a game for me, um, I, I don't say that because I'm looking at your bold head at the moment, Lol, but uh, <laughs> that semi-final at Munster was something to behold, and I'll never forget that. And probably of all the finals, I think Leinster-Northampton was the most mm. dramatic. But your game against Toulouse, when, dare I say it, Toulouse played about 90% of the sweeping, stellar, attacking rugby. And you lot fought and you scrapped and you held on. It was everything great about rugby. That mm. vision that we thought France had lost encapsulated in Toulouse with someone like Poitrino playing so beautifully. You guys showing that sort of um, Anglo-Saxon capacity to just fight and hang on take your chances and then that moment when genius and Poitrino was a genius of a player a madness just come together for the Rob Howley try there won't be anything more dramatic I think that was rugby union at its greatest and I still tingle when I think about that game and a few of the other European games I tingle just at the thought of of calling matches in Clement when that stand starts to vibrate but too long when that crazy guy gives out the war chant. As Steve says, the, 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 the difference between community and country makes it so special. We've forgotten about Pierre now, but boy, some of those semi-final and quarter-final weekends in San Sebastian, mm. it is and, and has always been a great tournament. The only concern I have is that the big clubs are getting bigger and better and what I don't want is it to become a mirror of Champions League football yeah. where Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, uh, Man City, Liverpool are the teams dominating. I don't want to see Leinster, Saracens as they were, uh, <coughs> to lose too long, just be in the teams. But other than that, this tournament is... Is, is, is poetry as far as I'm concerned. I love it. And, jo- and Jonesy, obviously I've been lucky enough to, to play in, in the tournament as a player um, and, and to have some of those moments that Stuart mentioned, you know, final against Toulouse, semi-final against Munster. But actually, some of my fondest memories have been as a supporter. I was in there for the, for the Northampton-Leinster final uh, mm-hmm. as a fan, um, as a, you know, just watching the game live. And to, to see that comeback in the second half was, was nothing short of, um, you know, mesmeric. Um, I also went to um, Lille to watch Stade Francais against Munster. And I went after I'd snapped my ACL. Um, I'd been training hard for a long, long time. And I thought, you know what? I need a bit of a blowout, as I often do. And uh, <laughs> I got together with a few mates. I went with Peter Winterbottom uh, and one or two other rugby players. And we just jumped on a train and we went to Lille to watch Stade Francais Munster. And, um, you know, it was part of that Munster journey where... They'd made consecutive semi-finals. They, they got robbed again by a somewhat dubious Steve Lander call on the touchline in the last few minutes. And I came home with the Munster fans and I've never seen an army of supporters so passionate. Um, obviously, 
you had to either sing um, a song, uh, tell a joke, or tell a lim- or, or recite a limerick, or drink heavily, or all four actually. Um, but I'd never seen anything like it. You'd have thought Munster had won that game, and just the army of of loyal support that followed them, and it made me realise, you know, just how special this tournament is. And you know, we're focused on international rugby, we're focused on Premiership TV deals, but surely the jewel in the crown has to be European rugby. The thing is, what, what I hated about it is, why did they take it into the season? The European Cup final should be the last game of any season. Mm. It, should, it shouldn't be played in the, towards the end of April. It should be the ultimate, because like you, I do think it is the ultimate. And, and look, I agree with you about Munster fans, but now you even get things like, you know, the lowly teams like Newport Dragons take, you know, or maybe 100 or two, wherever it is, to Castro. Or, I, I don't know about uh, to uh, Enesai in, in uh, Russia, but, you know, pe- people are now, it's not such a rip-off as international rugby. You can get, you can get uh, flights, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I just, it, it, is, it is wonderful, and we should defend it to the, to the death. I'll just tell one story about yourself, Lawrence, where uh, you and I were once in a meeting where, and this just shows the, uh, the Irish attitude to it. I was once in a meeting where we chose the European team of all time. I think it was something to do with the 20th anniversary of the competition, or the 15th, and we sat there with some journalists, and there were three Irish journalists, you and me and some others, and we, when we got to number eight, I said to well, Lawrence Delalio, and everyone sort of nodded, so we put him in the team. Lawrence then went out to the loo. When he came back, Anthony Foley was the number eight of all time. <laughs> <laughs> because no one said anything from the Irish contingent till he went out to the loo. Then he said, well, what about Foley? And suddenly that became unstoppable. So he was gone for 10, about 20 seconds. When he came back, he wasn't <clears> anymore. Na- naturally, Jonesy, you defended my honour while in my absence. I'm sure. I think you will find I did. I, did. I think I- after watching that semi-final just last weekend, I think I'd- I could probably make the team, but as the greatest referee of the European Cup of all time, to be fair. <laughs> Uh, no, listen, it's a, it's a special tournament and, and we all miss it. And the, and the reason I wanted to, to, to push everyone on it is because this Saturday is the sem- would have been the semi-final of sure. uh, the Champions Cup. Right, we've got a, uh, a feature this week uh, on lockdown, uh, lowdown. I'm sure many of you are pruning your gardening skills or, or uh, brushing up on your culinary expertise in the kitchen, even baking bread. But uh, I'd love to know from our panel if they could pick a, a film or a book to help our listeners get through the next seven days. Barnsley, being the uh, literary guru that you are, let's start with you. I've just read a book, it's a thousand pages, called Doc's Newburyport, and it went on and on and on, and I couldn't recommend that. But there's one I'm having a go at called Slow Thinking, Fast Thinking, by some bloke who won a Nobel for economics, and that's that's pretty interesting. And if you're in, interested in sport decision-making, that's something worth reading. Yeah, Slow Thinking, Fast Thinking. And your films, I mean, you're obviously a bit of a film buff as well. No, no more than anyone else, but there's a... There's a little rush. Someone said to me the other day, foreign film you like to see. So it's a chance to be temperatious. There's a Russian film called Leviathan. It is absolutely wonderful. But there's also one um, called Lucky with Harry, Harry Dean Stanton. You can find it on Netflix. It is an absolute jewel of an Americana film. Wonderful. 
slightly slightly alternative and quirky choices there, Barnsley. That's what we love about you. Definitely pulled something out of the jukebox there. Very impressive. Uh, Alex, are you, getting any, are you getting a chance to get anywhere near the TV remote control yourself? Uh, only when I've packed the kids off to bed. I'm going to choose, and I'm sure lots of people would have watched it already, but but the test, which is the cricket, the documentary following the Australian cricket team from when Justin Langer was appointed head coach after the sandpaper scandal through to the end of uh, last year's Ashes series. It is spectacularly good. The access is incredible. You're, you're right in there. You see, I say warts and all, that there's bound to be stuff that they haven't shown, but you feel like you live the experience with them. It was as close to that 97 Lions DVD as, as you will get. Less drinking, but, but, but a, lot of, a lot of insight. A lot of, you see Justin Langer at his, as he's learning to coach at his most vulnerable. Uh, you see Ben Stokes' innings through the eyes of the Australians in their, in their changing room. I couldn't recommend that highly enough. And actually, for Lions, the next tour South Africa are talking about doing some kind of similar series rather than just a one-off documentary mm. that that has set the, the bar for what the line should be aiming for and as a book actually what, one of the books I've been going back to mainly because of what we're writing about is is uh, is Unholy Union which we've talked about a lot on the podcast before yeah but Mark Ev- written by Mark Evans and, and Michael Elwin it touches on all the issues that we're all talking about now what you know where the game has come from in 25 years of professionalism the challenges it now faces and where it needs to go to um and that, that's just a, sort of on the edge of my desk here, here right now, as a, almost as a as a reference guide. So given given the whole the, the whole uh, subject that we've been talking about, that, that's mm. the book um, I'd recommend for for lockdown this week. Excellent, excellent choices. Unholy Union sounds like the name of a good podcast, that doesn't it? Really, um, Jonesy, uh, over to you, sir. You you talk. Alex uh, was talking about access there, Lawrence. <clears throat> Earlier on, you were talking about uh, you know people not being known and players not becoming. Uh, household names it's access Lawrence uh, we've we've got to get the game back out and t- to be open like the Australian cricketers so that yeah uh, it's, <laughs> it's a closed shop now well, it, uh, it, w- it would help it would help if the uh, if, if the England coaches might say a few words to uh, to members of the media I tried to get an interview with John Mitchell access denied I know that we've we're, we've tried to get uh, an interview with Connor O'Shea access denied yeah. And uh, Alex and, and yourselves have been trying to get interviews with various people. I mean, for goodness sake, RFU, if you're listening, now is the time when our country needs inspiring by uh, its greatest stars. And, and this England team is a very successful team under Eddie Jones and could well go on and become the most successful side in the history of our sport. And I say could well because everything is out in front of them. But if the public don't know who they are and have no emotional connection with the group, then they, will not, you know, they won't be liked. And, and I just don't think that's, that's the way you should go about your business, quite frankly, because I think you can be a great side and people can like you too or begrudgingly respect you or at least know who you are. So exactly. RFU, let your players and let your coaches talk to the media and start to build that relationship because when you do eventually get back at Twickenham and you run out there, the connection and the energy and the passion and the noise will be even greater than it's ever been. Anyway, sorry, your book and your, your book, the, the, your books my, and my, my book, one book I read, which I really love recently, is the autobiography of Glenn Webb. A long time after Dan retired, you'll remember him uh, as a black guy playing the Wingford Bridge End. Really, really nice, uh, really, really good read. Really takes you back to the old days of fun and frolics. As far as films go, obviously being a journalist, we've I've watched... Um, 
all the presidents meant 56 times, but the post, <laughs> uh, which is which is the Washington Post. The Post is a great film with Meryl Streep, about the same year as the uh, as uh, Watergate, but uh, <clears throat> different story. Like despite myself, uh, the terminal <clears throat> just set inside an airport terminal. A really, really clever a Spielberg film. Really, really clever and interesting. So the terminal and the post and Glenn Webb's book. Yeah, I'm, I'm a similar to you, James. I actually don't watch a lot of television, bizarrely, unless it's live sports. So I'm actually not watching hardly any at the moment. But going back to uh, the documentaries, you know, agree on the test, fantastic. There's also a Michael Jordan documentary, which has just been launched. And he was probably one of the greatest global superstars we've ever seen. Films, uh, I'm a bit of a classics man. So Cool Hand Luke uh, with the wonderful Paul Newman. Yeah. Whenever, I'm, whenever I'm feeling a bit low, I, need a, I just need to watch that one again. Books-wise... I've actually, because I've, I've I've been doing a lot of eating and cooking, I, I've sort of, I've read, I picked up this book called Grow Your Own Body, which is kind of, gives an insight into why the world is where we are now, why why maybe some people are suffering with the dreadful diseases that we're suffering from now. It's quite quite an intense book in terms of, uh, in terms wow. of what you are, what you eat type thing. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I've been, uh, I've been gouging out on that. And that's probably my lot really. My thanks to the wonderful uh, Ruckers, Stuart Barnes, Alex Lowe and Stephen Jones. We'll continue to make the Ruck every Monday for as long as we possibly can. Stay safe, everyone. Stay well. And we'll be back next week. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.